This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. A pretty common question from folks uh, getting into bankruptcy, I'm sure, is what happens then? Right. So once I'm done, once I've figured this all out and, and paid what I need to pay to feel okay about it all, uh, what, what do they do next? Yeah. How, do you, how, do you, how do you sort of start? Yeah, well, there is life after bankruptcy. That, right. That's the whole point. So, I know you yeah. say that. <laughs> oh, yeah, and I, and I believe it. And, oh. you know, if a company goes into bankruptcy, yeah, usually it's the end, of the end of the story. But individuals, we have this incredible power to, you know, start again and again. So ideally, bankruptcy is a one-time thing in your life, uh, but you will emerge, and generally you'll emerge stronger than you were before. Okay. So let's spend a minute talking about, you know, if you're going through a bankruptcy, what does that actually mean? So you've signed the documents. What do you do next? Yeah. Right? So for the vast majority of people, bankruptcy, is going to be less complicated, less expensive, and take less time than what they think. So most people think bankruptcy is going to take you six or seven years. Absolutely not true. So for the vast majority of people, about 80% of people that come to see us, if you're classified as low income, your bankruptcy is over in nine months. Okay. So less than a year, not six or seven years, nine months. So what happens, you sign the documents with the trustee on day one, um, and then you have a few duties that you have to perform. So instead of you paying your debts, instead of you being accountable to your creditors, having them harass you for payments or different things, things like that, you make a payment to the trustee each month. And again, if you're low income, that payment is $200 and that's it, regardless of the amount of debt. It could be $10,000 or it could be $110,000. The payment's the same. The important thing every month when you're in bankruptcy is it's meant to be a rehabilitation process. So you have to keep a budget. You have to show us each month what your income was and then tell us where you spent it. So I don't need proof of, you know, groceries or rent or so on and so forth, but I need the individual to make a diligent effort to show that they are tracking their expenses and their income and showing that they're living within their means. So you file for bankruptcy, you keep a budget for nine months, you make a monthly payment. Um, another really important thing is you come for two counseling sessions. So again, we're really proud at Sands and Associates, we care about the entire person, the entire situation, and quite often, finance is one piece of a puzzle of things that the person is trying to solve. The counseling sessions help by really focusing on rebuilding your credit, giving you the tools you need for household budgeting, but then also understanding, are there some non-budgetary reasons of why you're in this situation? Is there some extra support, perhaps an addiction, something that you need some connection to resources? That's what we try to do to, again, make sure it's a one time in your life that you're restructuring things. And over the history of this show, we've talked to some of the folks that work within your company yeah. uh, who, who do do that counseling work. So these people are very, very qualified. It's not like mm -hmm. uh, uh, Joe Blow sitting at his desk and saying, oh, well, you really need to stop gambling. You know, that'll yeah. help. Actually, no, there's, there's a thoughtful, kind person at the other, on the other side of that desk who's going to help you think about it in a different way and then support you in getting more support or more help yeah. uh, with that particular issue that if it becomes apparent that that's what it is. Exactly. Yeah, so the, the counselors, they're at least, you know, multiple years of experience, hundreds of hours experience requirement, professional courses, accreditations, all of that stuff. So they all help you get, get you through the bankruptcy. And the idea is you file for bankruptcy. Nine months later, ideally, you get your discharge. And the discharge means 
means that you're free of the bankruptcy, all the debt gets left behind. Well, what happens then? Let's talk yeah. about that. Yeah. And, and with that, would that, could that include, what do I do about my tax return? Because at that point, I wouldn't have a clue what to do. Yeah. So in tax, what happens with, with taxes in a bankruptcy is any tax debt that you owed before you filed the bankruptcy is going to be dealt with in the bankruptcy. So I have a lot of self-employed individuals, so sometimes realtors or tradespersons or things like that, who just get behind in government remittances and suddenly the revenue dries up and they end up owing the government a lot of money. If you go through a bankruptcy, what happens is we have to file taxes up until the day you file that bankruptcy to make sure any tax debt that you have is going to be included, it's going to be captured, it's not going to follow you in the future. So if you file the bankruptcy on June 30th, I'd be doing a tax return from January 1st until June 30th. It's called a pre-bankruptcy tax return. Okay. And then you file the bankruptcy and the rest of the year happens and goes on. You give me the information and I file the second half of the tax return. So while you're in bankruptcy, you've got basically two tax tax returns for a single year, which sounds a little bit complicated, but the trustee handles all of it. You just give us the information, we split the tax return up, and we deal with any tax debt up until the day you filed bankruptcy in order to give you that fresh start. Mm-hmm. If we didn't do that, if we just based it on, you know, December 31st or whatever, well, if you file in June, what about those six months? You yeah. might end up owing some money there. Okay, so after you've looked after yeah. my tax return for that period of time, what you know, how, what's my status within the tax department, especially if I've owed them money? Yeah. So once you're discharged, you are the same as every other Canadian who doesn't owe taxes. So you go back to filing your returns every year. Um, If you're going to get a refund, you'll get that refund without anything being netted off for past amounts owing to the government. So it gets you back to, you know, being the the perfect taxpayer that CRA always wants to see. So, so we really counsel folks after your discharge, make sure you're filing on time every year, make sure you're not delinquent, make sure any debts you're going to stay on top of just, you know, to try to keep them in that perfect category because CRA, like many places, operates a risk-based approach. And if you're consistently making mistakes on your your tax return or filing late or things like that, you're probably going to trigger them looking deeper or doing audits or things like that. So stay on the straight and narrow as much as you can, but a bankruptcy will get you right back to being, you know, perfect, pristine upon your discharge. Okay. So again, once that's done, uh, I think it's important to sort of note that this is where the counseling can help you. Mm-hmm. If, if I'm really bad at keeping books, proper yeah. books for my little home-based business, or I'm a tradesperson or whatever, Um, then I'm going to get some support around that in terms of I need to do this differently. Exactly. So one of the things we do is when we work with self-employed individuals, I had someone in my office last week uh, who was a construction framer and we sat down and he's never done his books monthly. So what happens is at the end of the year, he takes a shoebox of receipts to his Uh, accountant. He brings the bank statement and says, here's what I pulled out every month. And, you know, some years he's made money, some years he's lost money. But at the end of the day, there wasn't enough there to pay the taxes, which is why he was in to see me. So when we went through it, I explained to him if he's in bankruptcy, every month, essentially, he's going to pay his taxes. So it's part of the the process of keeping a budget every month is you have to essentially say, here's my revenue, here's my expenses, and you pay the government that month. So he said to me, that means I'm never going to have that horrible call from my accountant in January or February saying I owe the government 20 grand. I said, never. 
because yeah. every month you're not going to spend money you don't have. If it's off to the government, it's gone. You're not going to spend it. Or that awful feeling come whenever we're supposed to start doing our taxes so we may meet the deadline. Like, yeah. oh, I've got to go through that shoebox now. Yeah, doing a little bit at a time. It's a great habit. I have a lot of clients, even after they're discharged, they continue to do it every month just because they never want to be in that situation again. And the tax department doesn't look one way or the other any, any differently at me for doing it that way. No, if anything, they're a little bit happier. You know, you're paying theoretically before you have to, but yes. no, nothing negative at all. But uh, but at the same time, I'm up to date and yeah. Yeah, and if you overpay, well, that, you get a tax refund, then right? Then you get There's, money back. What's wrong with that? Yeah. Exactly, exactly. So any restrictions on owning or acquiring assets? Zero. After your bankruptcy? Yeah. After your discharge, you know, if you were to win the lottery the next day, are you forced to go back and make good on any of those debts? No. You may choose to, and we've had people do that, but no, you're fully legally discharged, and that's why it's so important to get to that point. If you start a bankruptcy and you don't complete it for whatever reason, yeah, if you win the lottery or you start to accumulate assets, those might have to go to pay pay your debts. But if once you get your discharge, you are like every other Canadian around here or non-Canadian, whatever, you're like every other individual who can accumulate assets with no risk of being taken from them. I like how we say, or or you win the lottery, like that's possible, yeah, <laughs> right? Well, it, in 27 years of practice, we did have it once. Someone fi- filed right? for bankruptcy in the morning, in the afternoon, they won the lottery. Are you kidding yeah. me? Was it a big amount that they won? It was enough to pay off all the debts. And as it's... soon as that happens, they're out of bankruptcy and they got a nice little check back. And wow. you know, obviously, if you knew that was going to happen, you wouldn't have filed. But right. the odds are what, one in 14 million? So yeah. it's, it's not a... Not a good plan, but it does happen. (laughs) It's not a good plan. Not one to bank on, that's for sure. Uh, What about the debts that the bankruptcy didn't cover? Are there debts that the bankruptcy wouldn't cover? There's a short list. And, you know, generally they're the common sense ones that you would think people shouldn't be able to walk away from for the most part. So things like alimony or Mm. things like child support. I don't think there's anyone that would advocate that, you know, those debts should go away if you file for a bankruptcy. Those are your responsibilities. Now, there are a couple others that are a little, you know, a little more gray perhaps. Um, You know, if you owe money for student loans and it's been less than seven years since you were a student and you filed a bankruptcy or a proposal, during the bankruptcy or the proposal, student loans has no greater rights than anyone else. They can't collect from you. They can't hold you accountable for anything. But at the end of the bankruptcy, they have the right to resume collection activities for whatever is not paid. Okay. So I have a lot of individuals I'll sit down with if student loans is one of the first debts they're concerned about. Right. I want them to get in touch with student loans and figure out what's the last study date they have on file. You know, if it's six and a half years from now or six and a half years ago, we would not be doing the right thing to file a bankruptcy or a proposal now. We should wait six months to make sure that that debt would actually get discharged. I see. Now, if it was two years ago and, you know, you've got a bunch of other things, you're being threatened with being, you know, wages taken or assets seized, you may have no other option. You may still need the relief of a bankruptcy or a consumer proposal. You just need to realize that after your discharge, income tax is gone, credit cards are gone, lines of credit are gone, but a student loan less than seven years old would not be gone. Oh, that's interesting, hey? Wow. How did they get that little special thing. Yeah, it's funny when you actually read that section of the law because it says, you know, it's alimony, it's maintenance, it's money owing for things stolen, it's theft, it's dishonesty, and then it's student loans. So wow. so it's it's a real carve out. And, you know, we don't hold, you know, we don't say that you can't get discharged from income tax, even though that's money owing to the government. So yeah. to me, student loans aren't that different. Do I think you should be able to graduate and go bankrupt the next day? No, but seven years is a long time for a lot of folks. Well, it is. And it's not as if uh, the your uh, professors or your instructors didn't get 
get paid. You know, like everybody yeah. got looked at. Well, that's interesting. Hmm. Yeah. That's worth another discussion sometime. Oh, indeed. We'll talk more at student loans. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Darn student loans. So another big concern for folks is, are, am I ever going to be able to get credit again? Yeah, my answer to that is you'll get probably more credit than you reasonably need. And the question is going to be, or the challenge is going to be using it responsibly. Mm. So what happens if it's a first-time bankruptcy is you can be discharged in as little as nine months, and the bankruptcy is going to last on your credit report for six years after your discharge. So it doesn't mean you're not you're untouchable completely, but it means if someone pulls a credit report... They're going to see you filed a bankruptcy if it's been six years since your discharge. What we see is if people take the right steps, you know, basic things like starting to get a secured credit card, making sure they pay all their bills on time, including their cell phone bill, which is really important. Yes. If they take all the right steps, usually it's within two or three years, they're now credit worthy again. They're now getting offers of credit cards with more limits than they need if they were going for a mortgage, as long as they've got the down payment, even if a bankruptcy is going to show on the record, as long as it's been two or three years of solid credit rebuilding, they should still be okay. And can you just give me the definition for a secured credit card again, what yeah. that means? So that just means a card where you put down a deposit. So if it's a $1,000 card, you might put down a $1,200 deposit, and then the cardholder has no risk. So they will give that to you when you're rebuilding your credit. Got it. Okay, great. For more information on any of the things that we've talked about, check out the website. It's nice and easy, sands-trustee.com, or better yet, give them a call, 1-800-661-3030, for a free consultation to see if any of this information, if you can use this or if it fits your situation or to find an office near you. We'll be back with more right after this. You're listening to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates, helping you get out of debt. We're talking with Stephanie Muncy, who's a chartered professional accountant working with Sands & Associates as an estate manager. She has over six years of insolvency and accounting experience and is based on, the, on Vancouver Island at the offices of Sands & Associates there. Stephanie, thank you so much for uh, joining us. Well, thank you, Elaine. I'm happy to be here. And I know we're talking about self-employment issues. Blair says this is something that you can speak well about. And uh, and it's great because in this business, in this radio business, uh, there's a lot of self-employed people. So this is really, really good information. And uh, I have a feeling today, just in the tech sector alone, uh, there's more and more people who are self-employed or contract players versus full-time employees, like in the old days. Yeah, the mm-hmm. sharing economy, you know, the Uber That's and, right. and things like that, the side hustle. Yeah, I think there'd be more and more of people who really have to know this information about their requirements, you know, to, to keep out of trouble, essentially, with the government. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so more and more we're seeing lots of self-employed people um, and just more information out there that there is available to them, the better they can keep their finances on track and help grow their business. Stephanie, what do you think, or what have you found is sort of the the most common reason that self-employed folks get into financial difficulties? Mm -hmm. Well, the reason people can get into financial difficulties can arise from a number of different avenues. Probably the most common ones that I see uh, is just not tracking and not, not keeping records of their expenses and how much they're making, or they don't realize until it's too late that they've, they've gotten themselves into a bit of trouble. 
Um, so that's a really big one. And another one that people often overlook is that things are cyclical. Um, so not having a saving, not having a, a contingency fund and a bit of savings aside for the low periods um, can cause them undue expenses like interest or borrowing costs if they have to cover expenses when they're not earning as much as they were previously. Okay. So, oh, sorry. So this is someone, you know, like a landscaper, for example, obviously in, in the winter, their business goes, you know, quite quiet. So they would have to forecast for those, for those lean months. Is that what you mean, Stephanie? Yeah, absolutely. So contractors um, that's or and, and landscapers, that's a, a great example. We're in the springtime and the summer. They get a lot more business than in the winter. Uh, but you also get people like realtors um, where it goes, you never, you can't predict when your, your payday is going to be. So when you do get that payday, just putting a little bit aside um, so you can cover the months until you get another contract and they're able to get more income. So what are the kinds of things that we need to pay attention to as self-employed workers uh, that we need to track and make sure we track? Um, I think one of the most important things is just knowing how much money you're taking in, so tallying that up on a regular basis, as well as keeping receipts and records of all of your expenses. So a lot of times self-employed people, they're so busy and so passionate about their business that they don't necessarily update their books. So if you make a point of setting a date every single month where you're going to go through, you're going to review your your progress, you're going to update yourself and all the revenue you've taken home, update all the expenses you had just so you can know where you're standing at that particular time. Now, when it comes to taxes, I'm still going to have to pay tax on that money that I'm getting. What's the best amount to put aside if I haven't you know, if I haven't done this before or I don't know what the percentage is, what is that percentage? Mm -hmm. Um, So taxes are are complicated and it depends on how much much you make. So there's there's two things that you can do. Um, CRA, so Canada Revenue Agency, actually has a great online resource um, where if you go onto their website or even if you type it into Google, the CRA online payroll calculator, uh, if you plug in how much you've you've made in that month, it'll let you know exactly what you'd owe for your federal and your provincial taxes, as well as what you should be putting aside for your, your CPP, your Canada Pension Plan contribution. So that's a good way to know, um, have a fairly accurate estimate of what you'd owe at the end of the year. Um, but a lot of people who make I'd say between thirty and fifty thousand dollars, if you just set aside roughly seventeen percent of your net income usually that's pretty close to saving enough by the time you hit hit tax time and have to, to make sure you make those payments to the government. Okay, so we've put aside enough money for our taxes at 17%. Now, you talked about savings and the importance of savings. What do you look at there? How much money should we be putting aside or a percentage? Mm-hmm. I think that that really depends on what type of business you're in. Um, as far as saving for personal expenses and stuff like that, we recommend for individuals that they have enough to live for three months if something should happen. Um, if it's something like a realtor where maybe you have two big sales e- sales a year, you should maybe average that out over the entire year on what you need to cover your desk fees and stuff like that throughout the rest of the year. Uh, things like contractors and other other types of businesses like that um, just need to make an assessment of what their their ongoing costs are being or any contract costs that they have to pay. 
uh, and make a judgment based on on their past experience in the business. And, and Stephanie, we, we talked about, you know, how it's really important for self-employed folks to, to put away their tax remittances, you know, ideally keep it in a separate account. Um, I'm wondering, um, you know, if, if someone hasn't planned um, and suddenly they see that there's some money in another account they've saved for taxes, I could see that money sometimes getting used in, in operations. Ha- have you seen that with, with the client base? And what type of difficulties does that does that cause if you've got this money that's set aside and then sometime, somehow an emergency happens and then the tax money is not there? What's the implication of that for the individual. Mm-hmm, absolutely, Blair. Yeah, that does happen a lot where they're, they're planning, they're being proactive, they're putting away that money for taxes, and then something comes up where they need to pay a supplier and they, or they need to do something else that keeps the business running. Otherwise, the business would just stop. Um, so they do have to dip into that emergency fund. So essentially, when you don't pay your taxes on time to Canada Revenue Agency, you get stuck with a lot of additional interest and penalties. Um, so best case scenario, you needed that money, you had to take it to get the business running, so you need to figure out how to pay that extra cost um, on the taxes that would be late to be paid. Um, but a lot of times, not having that savings and having to dip into your tax fund, that's when things can snowball out of control, and you just have so much trouble catching up with those interest, interest payments that you hadn't accounted for initially. Now, what about a bookkeeper? A bookkeeper sounds like it might solve a lot of those problems, but how? what about your clients? Have you seen that they've availed themselves of that, or is that just something that's a bit out of reach? Mm-hmm. I, I have a number of clients that have said wonderful things to say about as soon as they got a bookkeeper, everything turned around, everything got a lot better, um, whereas others prefer to, to watch um watch their income themselves. So it really depends on how comfortable they are with tracking their finances. Um, I feel in construct, or especially in the construction business and people who work on contract, um, they know a lot of other people that are self-employed in a similar business. And that's oftentimes when people find really great bookkeepers. It's because someone else that's doing the same type of work has someone that's been do- that, that knows what they're doing, knows the business, and help, has helped them keep on track. So that's a great resource to find to find a bookkeeper that works for them. Essentially, at the end of the day, if you know you're not going to be tallying up your expenses and your revenue and tracking it on a regular basis, having that bookkeeper is going to keep you accountable and it's going to keep you attuned to how your business is doing so you can make the proper decisions. Right. And I guess, Stephanie, what a bookkeeper also allows you to do is to focus on your business, right? Not focus on being an accountant and being compliant with Canada Revenue and knowing all of these things, which maybe you're not an expert in, allows you, you know, to, to be the best, whatever it is that you are self-employed, the best landscaper, realtor, plumber, whatever ever and get someone else to worry about the, you know, the technical things. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. It's the reason you're self-employed is because you're very passionate about what you do. So by getting a bookkeeper that frees up your time to focus on what you are really good at. That's a great point, Blair. Thank you, Stephanie. That's great information for self-employed folks on how, uh, that might find themselves getting into financial difficulties or in there and need to get out. Stephanie Muncy, you can uh, uh, find her very easily at sands-trustee.com. Thank you, Stephanie. Thank you. Thank you. You're listening to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates, who are experts in helping you get out of debt. We'll be back with more right after this. Thanks for joining us. You're listening to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. 
Get a financial fresh start by calling 1-800-661-3030 for a free consultation and to find an office near you. Now, one of the things that's always sort of in the back of my mind sometimes is giving a hand to folks who need it. I mean, I think mm-hmm. I'm, not, I'm not alone, right? We, yep. if, if we have something that we can help somebody else do a bit better with or to get, give them a bit of a head start, it's a pretty typical thing. Um, I know that you talk to a lot of people on a regular basis mm-hmm. uh, who come to you with that, either they're in that situation or they want to be in that situation uh, to help so, or, you know, be seeing you on somebody else's behalf. What are the kinds of things that you know, you impart to them. Yeah, so definitely, Elaine, it's something that happens almost every day. So my my day-to-day is I meet with individuals who usually it's on their behalf. They've got a debt problem. We talk about all the options. We give no judgment. We help them figure out what they can do to move forward. But quite often, we're speaking with somebody who's, you know, a surrogate or someone who's trying to do the right thing for a friend, for a family member. Sometimes it's a boss for an employee. You know, whatever the relationship is, you know, sometimes it's the person who's just so scared to come in for the meeting or doesn't even know that we exist. So when people come in, yeah, we're able to give them a lot of information to allow them to help people in their lives um, who might be facing a difficult situation. It's actually the number two source of clients from us. So number one is people find us online, they do a little bit of research. But number two is people telling their friends, their families, their loved ones that Sands and Associates is somewhere they can go to get help with their debts. Yeah, or they hear something that, uh, hear something on the show that goes, oh, wow, that's just describing, you know, so-and-so or my kid or my uncle or, or whoever. Yeah. So where's the best place to start or where do you uh, start if someone you know has a debt problem? Where's the, wh- what's the first thing to do? Yeah, you know, the, the first thing I think is to realize, you know, the person's already likely very ashamed about their situation. You know, I've never met anybody that brags about the amount of debt that they've got. <laughs> you know, they might brag they got a great credit rating, they got six credit cards, but what's the balance on those? That's not something we talk about. So you've got to realize if you know somebody's got a debt problem, they probably are so hard on themselves already that anything other than empathy and support and compassion is probably just going to bounce off. They're not going to want to hear much from you. So, you know, the first thing I think you've got to understand is you can't make anybody get help right? It might look to you from a very interested observer, you know, this could be your mom, your dad, brother, sister, it might be very obvious to you, they've got a debt problem, and they need to get some help. uh, But they've got to come to that realization by themselves. Now, what I think you can do is you can try to find the facts, you can try to find the resources, you can try to connect them to the right tools that they're going to eventually need to turn things around to get things back in control. Excellent. So the next question, what about if a loved one comes to you looking for help? Like, what am I, what am I supposed to say at that point? Or how do I help them help themselves? Yeah. So before you even think about, you know, let's get a professional involved, you got to think, well, what's the situation? You know, how, how bad is it? And what, what are we facing? So, you know, a couple key steps. The first thing is just to sit down and add things up, you know, the old blank sheet mm. of paper, listing out who do you owe money to and how much. So quite often when I meet with clients, they bring in a stack of bills that haven't been opened in months because they know what it's going to say. They're going to say, hey, I owe a bunch of money and I can't pay it. 
So it's sitting down with that person and actually going through, opening the mail, having that catharsis, that release, saying, okay, now it's out in the open. I'm not going to hide anymore. So just sitting down and making a list of who you owe money to, but then also asking the person, well, you know, what else is going on? Are you getting a bunch of calls? Are there collection agents involved? You might have a debt to three people, but there could be 10 different collection agents calling you because that debt's been sold a bunch of times now. So, you know, what's impacting you on a day-to-day basis and get that down as well. So who do I owe money to? How much? Am I getting collection calls? Just get all that down on a sheet of paper to start. Okay. The other thing too, I always think to myself is you're not alone. Right. You're not alone. You're not the only one on the planet at this moment who who's feeling overwhelmed by debt. Mm -hmm. It's kind of a probably a pretty common occurrence. Yeah. There's never been a point in our Canadian history where consumer debt has been even close to what it is right now. So it hit a peak in the last quarter. It went down by, you know, 0.2 percent. It's almost 170 percent of our income, Elaine. So of the average person, you know, if they're earning $50,000, they might owe $85,000 of consumer debt. So if someone is listening out there and they've got no debt, that's great. It's excellent that you're you're in that situation, but you're very much in the minority these days. Debt's a fact of life for a lot of people. Okay. So I know I'm in a pickle. I'm mm-hmm. not sure what to do. I guess making a plan of some sort yeah. as to how to tackle it. Again, you know, if you're feeling overwhelmed and pretty uh, embarrassed by it all, not the easiest thing to do, but it sounds like it's one of the most important things to do. Yeah, exactly. You know, if you don't have a plan, you've got no general direction where you're going, it's very easy to do the wrong things. And sometimes the wrong thing is whichever collection agent calls you the most or makes you the most scared, that's the person that you throw money at. And it's not necessarily the most important one to look after. Exactly. Okay, so so how do we do it? Yeah, so what you want to do is you want to sit down and figure out, is there a priority to my debts? You know, do I owe the government? Do I owe student loans? Do I just owe credit cards? Do I owe for my rent where the landlord's going to kick me out in two days if I don't pay. So we got to figure out what's really critical and you got to deal with those first. But then what we always want to try as a trustee is to see, you know, can you get out of this under your own steam? You know, is it a case that you've just been a little bit disorganized? Once we write everything down, we figure out here's the debts, here's the payments that they want. And if you do a little budgetary, you know, manipulation, maybe you'll be fine on your own. So for some people, it's just a little bit of counseling saying, here's the money that comes in, here's where it's going, and we can save a little bit of money. And if that works, great. But sometimes you do need a little bit of professional assistance to help you through. Even coming up with some sort of budget Mm -hmm. so that you're not, so you don't stay in that place, right? Because one thing to take a look at everything, the second thing is you actually need to do something and a budget might be the best option. Yeah, budget is absolutely critical. So as you sit down and look at your debts and see, can you get out of it under your own steam? Well, the only way you're going to know that is if you have a very clear idea of what's coming in the door each month and where that's going. Now, budgeting is not fun. It's not sexy. Nobody wants to do it. We know that from speaking with our clients. Yeah. Um, But we also know that just the act of doing it has so much intrinsic value, you know, regardless of whether, you know, it's a perfect budget, it's all very organized, everything adds up. The exercise of you going through and saying, you know, what did I spend last month? And was that what I anticipated spending? And where did I go wrong? And that's a level of, you know, questioning of analyzing your finances that almost nobody does on a regular basis. So I'm told consistently that if people go through a bankruptcy, one of the things they have to do is keep a budget. And I'm told just about every day, that's the most value they get out of this is having to keep a budget to track their expenses and to revisit it every month and just make some changes on whether they, they did well or didn't do well. I would think all of their expenses too. I, 
it'd be really easy for folks just to, you know, dismiss the daily uh, trip to the coffee shop yeah. or the twice daily or the three times a day trip mm-hmm. to the coffee shop. And that's a and that can be a huge thing, right? That can oh, yeah. that can make or break you on a daily budget or a weekly budget even, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. There's different, you know, leakages you can call. And, and yeah, if it's just you think it's, you know, just, you know, pennies in your pocket or a few bucks here and there. It's amazing how quickly that stuff can add up. And they make it as easy as possible oh, for yeah. you too, right? Tap that's, to pay now, right? <laughs> I, and believe me, I, I'm a big fan of the tap to pay. I think that's awesome. Yeah. But boy, oh boy, I can see how you could get into trouble with it very quickly. Mm-hmm. Cool. All right. So the second part is find the source about pinpointing the reason yeah. for the debt in the first place. Yeah. So exactly. If you're looking at the budget each month and you know, it's the old adage, if you find yourself in a hole, what do you do first? You stop digging. Right. So if you find that you're already in debt and you see the budget every month is $300 short, well, gee, every month you're digging yourself at least $300 deeper into that, um, plus all the interest that's accumulating on the debts as well. So we got to figure out, is it a case that you're overspending because the rent is too high or there's some different, you know, the daily latte factor, which, you know, seems more overblown than what it actually is. It's hard to blow your budget, but it is possible, you know, if you go for two lattes a day. But, you know, we got to figure out where is the gap coming from the budget quite often what I see is that people are okay to live within their means if we took away all these darn debt payments they got behind on. And now the debt has just snowballed. The, snowballed. the money's been spent long ago. They're getting no benefit from it. But so much of their income is having to go to, to pay these interest costs each right. month. And interest is enormous. Depending on what what it is you owe and to whom, yeah. it can vary greatly. Oh yeah. And credit cards you know, typically are the highest of the high yes. interest with the exception of payday loans. So you know, even a $6,000 debt on a credit card could take you 40 years to clear. Excellent. Mm-hmm. So check for safety. What does that mean? Well, what you want to make sure is that, you know, debt can become all-consuming, can be overwhelming. And sometimes this is especially for folks who are, you know, elderly or senior citizens at this point. Um, quite often, their moral compass is, you know, about as straight as it could ever be, saying that if I incurred this debt, no matter what it takes, I'm going to pay back dollar for dollar whatever I can do. Absolutely. And sometimes that's the extent of doing things that are injurious to themselves. So, you know, sometimes it's not buying groceries or buying just so few groceries you can't believe a person could live on it each month and spending three or four times that amount on interest payments each month. Yeah. You know, sometimes it's being taken advantage of by somebody who's scamming them trying to help them get out of debt. So they might be scared to reach out to a trustee for whatever reason, but there are outbound telemarketers, sometimes they're based in the U.S., that will say, okay, yeah, we're going to solve your problem, very touchy-feely, and at the end of the day, you're being scammed, they're going to take a lot of money for doing nothing for you. Yeah, and unfortunately, uh, often the more senior or elderly folks, uh, easy easy to scare, Mm -hmm. because you don't ask, you don't want, you know, they won't ask questions or don't want to ask questions, and people can be brutal, right? Yeah. Take advantage of people very easily. Oh, yeah. And the big the big joy that I get out of, out of my job a lot of the time is just giving that person information. So the senior citizen that might be just deathly afraid of the debt problem that they're in, that might be working with an unlicensed advisor that's taking money for nothing, as soon as we have a meeting with them, we can show them, here's Canadian law. Here's the protections that you have. You may not to go, need to go bankrupt. You may not need to do a proposal. You just might need a little bit of counseling, a little bit of help with your budget, and a little bit of information about how much consumer protection law actually protects you in the province of BC. 
PC, which the collection agent or the person that's fe- making you feel bad is never going to give you that information. Their right. interests are different than yours. So just by coming to an expert to get the information, that's a huge first step to help people get control. And what kind of help do you offer or advice in terms of other than the actual hard dollars and cents that we mm-hmm. talk about, uh, your people must come up against all kinds of issues for folks that have gotten them there. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, we we firmly believe that often money is just one piece of a puzzle that, you know, we can solve the money piece, but if there's a lot more to a person than that, um, you know, we do the best that we can to to try to help. So, you know, quite often some people will come to us and they've had gambling issues in the past or Mm -hmm. shopping addictions. You know, yeah, we can fix the debt, but we won't rest until we're sure that person has helped themselves. They've gotten the right counseling. They've connected with the right resources. So a trustee can be a good first step for someone to reach out, you know, start to fix the debt. Um, but again, there could be other factors and we're excellent at connecting to resources like that. Yeah, you've got great people within your organization that will take on the various areas. You're listening to Blair Manton with Sands & Associates. I'm Elaine Scollin. The show is called Dollars and Cents. Sands & Associates experts in helping you get out of debt. For more information on any of the services we've talked about, go to the website sands-trustee.com for more information. You're listening to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates, helping you get out of debt. So many folks feel overwhelmed by debt and are often very scared to consider bankruptcy due to the negative things that we all hear about bankruptcy. Talking with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates, let's talk about those misconceptions, Blair, because there's yeah. a lot of them out there. Hugely scary word, right? Bankruptcy from the time you're you're a kid and t- until now, you know, it's synonymous with failure, with you know, kind of the worst point you you could ever face. But the reality is usually quite different. Bankruptcy is not the end of the story. It's really it's a rebirth. It's ch- it's a chance to start over. And the actual going through of a bankruptcy in general, it's nothing like what you think. It's not as intrusive, not as horrible, not as difficult as you might lead yourself to believe. And part of the thing that makes it so big and scary is that shame, right? And shame. Yeah. It comes from thinking that everybody's going to know about it. Yeah. And that's just not true. No, that, that's a huge part of it. Is first off, you think you're the only person in the situation, uh, which, you know, if, if you read any news report these days, Canadians are more indebted than ever before, and Canada is the most indebted of all of the G8 nations. So, you know, we, a lot of people have debt issues in, these days, and it's over 100,000 people, over 1,000 people a month just in BC see a trustee to do a bankruptcy or a consumer proposal. And do you hear about all those 1000 a month in BC? No, you don't. Uh, bankruptcy is generally a very private process. Right. So if most people think everybody's going to know about the bankruptcy, it's quite the opposite. Usually nobody in your life knows about the bankruptcy. The folks that have to be notified are, first off, anybody that you owe money to who's not getting paid has to be told they're not getting paid. So if you file a bankruptcy, all your creditors have to get a notification, and the trustee handles all of that. Does your employer have to be notified? No. 
The only way an employer needs to be notified is if things have gotten so bad that your wages are being taken, meaning that, you know, someone sued you already and gotten a court judgment and taken that judgment to your employer, which, my God, that's one of the worst things that, that can be happening to you. You're aware of that all the time, and it's quite embarrassing. The only time a trustee talks to your employer is to put a stop to all that nonsense, to say to the employer, we are now involved, and federal law means that this individual gets all of their wages. They can't be garnished any further. So in general, your creditors will know, your trustee will know, and anybody that you tell about it will know because quite often people are just so thrilled um, that their life has turned around so completely and they've rebuilt their credit that a huge source of new clients for us is people confiding to their friends and family saying, I faced a tough situation. I got some help. Perhaps you should consider it too. Mm -hmm. Uh, One of the other misconceptions is that I'm going to lose everything. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I believe that until I started to study to become a trustee, because by definition, you think, you know, if you're bankrupt, you you give up everything. And, you know, in some ways you do have to give up certain assets. Um, You know, if you've got a a house that's worth a million dollars with no mortgage and you owe $20,000 in debt, I'm sorry, you've got to figure out a way to sell that asset or get some money out of it to pay the asset. However, most people that come into my office who are thinking about filing a bankruptcy, they don't have many assets to, to really speak of. So let's go through what the government says, because the government says essentially if someone files for bankruptcy, it would be so fundamentally unjust if you took everything from them that that's not a public policy outcome they want. So they've said that everyone is entitled to retain a certain base level of assets. And for most people, that encompasses everything that they've got. So first off is household furniture. So if someone files for bankruptcy, they have to swear a statement that these are everything that they own, and that includes their furniture. The way furniture is valued is if you had a garage sale or if you had Craigslist, what's someone going to pay you for your couch, your TV, your cutlery, all crazy stuff like that? The answer is not much, and the value you're allowed to keep is up to $4,000. So if someone files for bankruptcy, they do their own inventory of their personal assets. They value it at a Craigslist or a garage sale value. And I don't know about you, Elaine, but the last garage sale I went to, they recovered nothing close to $4,000. No, right? that'd be really yeah. good if they did, but it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. People <laughs> don't pay much for used furniture for personal effects. So yeah. unless you've got this rare piece of art on the wall, the grand piano, Steinway in the living room, you know, and if, if you were a musician, you'd probably keep that piano anyway. But unless yeah. you've got some really strange assets that have a lot of value, you're going to keep everything. Thing. Um, you're going to keep a vehicle if it's worth less than $5,000. Um, so anything worth less than $5,000 can never be seized from you. And if your car is worth a little bit more than that, then you just make arrangements with the trustee to pay in the difference of the value. So if your car is worth $6,000 and you file for bankruptcy, you keep the car, but you're required to pay basically the excess of the value of the $1,000. A hugely important one, and I know we've touched on this in some past shows, but I think we can't um, belabor this point too much, is RRSPs. Some people have no awareness that RRSPs are protected. If you file for bankruptcy, you don't lose your retirement, you don't lose your pension fund, and you absolutely don't lose your RRSPs. So if you're considering, you know, I'm going to lose these RRSPs anyway, so why don't I cash them in to pay for debts? Stop, take a deep breath, call Sands and Associates, get some advice here because your RRSPs are protected. Yeah, which is a huge, th- I didn't realize that. Uh, and it's an enormous thing. I mean, that's yeah. that could be your entire savings account that you actually get to hang on to at the same time as looking after your debt and, and getting that down and getting rid of it altogether. Yeah, and it's, again, it's very, very important that you're aware of those facts because, you know, it's, that's your private pension plan. If you were working for a company, you'd, ne- you'd know you could never cash in your own pension plan, but when it's your RRSPs, you have the option. And my advice is just don't take that option. Don't do it. Yeah. What about your credit? That's another piece that you think, oh, if I declare bankruptcy, my credit is just going to be awful from here on in. 
Right. So again, more more myth than, than fact there. Now, anytime you don't pay back your debts in full, your credit's going to take a hit. So every debt that you have, they're reported on a scale and it's an R scale. So R1 is perfect credit. You know, you never miss a payment. You're on time with everything. You're not over the limit every month and all the way to an R9, which R9 is you're in bankruptcy or the debt's been written off or you've skipped the country or something like that. So bankruptcy takes you to the opposite end of the credit spectrum in terms of, you know, having a good credit rating. Um, But what I encourage people to think about is that this is a temporary situation right? So if you file a bankruptcy and most bankruptcies are finished within nine to 21 months. So, you know, under a year for about 80%, under two years for pretty well the balance, you can start to rebuild your credit as soon as you're discharged. So even though for six years after you file a bankruptcy, it's going to be reported on your credit that you filed for bankruptcy, most people can rebuild their credit in as soon as two or three years after their discharge from bankruptcy. So it's huge, two or three years. Yeah, and we've learned that that's often what what lenders or banks will look at is the last two years, yeah. not your entire history of 10 years or whatever, if that includes the six that you're still, that that's still listed. Exactly. And that's so important to understand too, is really it is the two to three year window. So, you know, if you, you know, hanging your hat on, I've got 20 years of history with this bank and they know me and they, they would always approve me for everything. The 17 of those 20 years don't really count yeah. a- anymore. Um, and again, keep in mind, if you're delaying taking action on a debt situation, if you're just making the minimum payments each month, because you want to preserve that perfect credit rating, you know, the better decision might be to allow that rating to take a hit, knowing that you can rebuild it in the space of a few years. How much better off are you going to be with a rebuilding credit rating, but no debt compared to a perfect credit rating, but a bunch of debt that it's just a matter of time that you may never pay it off. So the other misconception is meeting with somebody like yourself, a licensed insolvency trustee and, and all the, uh, the scary things that people think that that is, I can tell you having known Blair for a while now, (laughs) it's not very scary, but the process isn't scary either. And that's a misconception that it is, that it's big and awful. Yeah. And so, so definitely, you know, we understand when people come through the, through the doors to our office, it's not a call that they make lightly. It's not a meeting that, you know, they really, you know, take a nonchalant approach to, you know, people really struggle. Um, they really judge themselves. They get depressed. They get down on themselves. And quite often it takes them two years um, to finally figure out that, hey, I found out where I need to go for help. I've got the courage to make the call and I'm going to show up for that meeting. So the worst thing you can ever do to somebody in that situation is make them feel like they've made a mistake coming to see you. And you do that by making them feel judged. Right. By saying, well, you know, how'd you make this mistake? That didn't make, didn't make any sense. And, you know, what, are you, what, what are you doing here? And, <laughs> yeah. you know, going through the credit card statement line by line, asking about everything. Oh, uh, it sounds like a nightmare. Yeah. And I'm, I'm caricaturing it here a bit because I just can't imagine ever doing that on a human to human basis. Right. What we proud, pride ourselves on at Sands and Associates is we understand anybody could be in a debt situation. For most people, it's circumstances, it's a life event, it's a job loss, an illness, a relationship breakdown. It's stuff that life happens and it's all what you do to fix the situation. So we take a very empathetic approach and one of our slogans is, you know, you can lose your dignity, sorry, you can lose your debt, but you can keep your dignity. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't have to impact your self-worth coming to see a trustee and we treat everybody with respect and empathy. If any of this information resonates with you and you'd like more information, as I said, the website uh, sands-trustee.com check it out you can book your free consultation with one of the experts and experience that empathetic 
person on the other side of the table listening to you and and working with you to figure out your debt situation and uh, with the goal being that you can start living a debt-free life. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.